Welcome to Passage to Wonderland, literary passages to complete your day. In her soon-to-be-released book, No Stars in the Sky, award-winning writer Martha Batiz writes about issues close to her heart, the plight of migrant children along the Mexico-U.S. border, the tragedy of the disappeared, and the racial and domestic violence that makes life a constant struggle for survival. Here's one of her short stories called The First Piano. It took eight of the townsmen to unload the piano from the truck. Who would have thought this thing would be so heavy? Father, why didn't you invite someone with a guitar instead? They joked as they carried the piano towards the front doors of the church. As soon as they got it inside, however, the murmur hushed. Inside the holy walls, the men became as somber as if it were a funeral procession, the piano a huge casket and everyone walking in silence beside it. Castulo was still alongside Father Domingo, feeling proud. Here, you can leave it here. Father Domingo pointed to the open space before the altar. Now, where is Amalia? he asked, turning to find her. Come here, my child. Please, clean the piano with a cloth. Only then did they realize its shiny skin was covered in fingerprints. Amalia cleaned it softly, and everyone watched silently, almost in reverence. To break the tension, Father Domingo said, Don't be afraid, it won't break, and laughed, as everyone else did gratefully, except Amalia. She looked embarrassed, and the priest felt sorry for her. He wanted to make her feel good, especially since her husband, Trinidad, had died recently, and the baby she had been expecting was stillborn. No doctors, no rain, no help. Foreign remittances were few and far between. Only campaigning politicians brought relief, and that was mostly false hope, packaged in a bag of food and coupons for free groceries. It was never enough. There's no hope, Amalia had said, after they buried her little baby. A boy. Amalia asked Father Domingo to baptize him before the funeral. He couldn't refuse, so Amalia dressed her infant in a white sleeper she had knitted and named him Trinidad, like his father. Then she put Trinidad in his little casket with the same care and love she would have used had he been alive. Father Domingo had decided to give her special assignments to keep her busy. You will be Miss Christina's special assistant. When she arrives, you will help her with everything she needs, Amalia. Once the piano was clean, Father Domingo opened the keyboard's lid. As he did so, he looked around. It seemed to him that the piano itself and everyone around it were smiling in unison when he held the lid open. The white keys contrasted with the people's yellowed, crooked teeth, but wood and ivory, teeth and flesh, seemed happy to be together. Pedrito asked if he could touch the keys, and Father Domingo nodded. He asked the children to form a line, so each of them could get a chance to play the piano. The silence that had prevailed drowned in their laughter as they discovered the different sounds the piano could make. Some of the children put their entire hand on the keys and heard a crushed sound in response. Others would touch 
two or three keys at a time, still not hearing a chord that made any sense. Once their turn was over, they returned to their places and fixed their eyes on the next player's fingers, trying to make a connection between what they saw and what they heard, trying to control their excitement and their laughter inside the house of God. After the children had each had their turn, Amalia was the first grown-up to try. She approached the keyboard with fear and ran her fingers smoothly over its surface from left to right. The sound her hand produced was like a waterfall, and those who came after her tried to imitate it, from bass to treble and back, their dirty fingernails clacking against the piano's smile, their calluses stumbling on the way up or down. Okay now, Castulo, you are the last one. Would you like to try? After all, it's thanks to you that we have the piano here today. Castulo bit his lower lip and inclined his head. He didn't want Father Domingo to notice he was nervous, but his index finger fell casually on a key, high-pitched as a flame, and he lifted it immediately as if it had burned him. He was laughing, his forehead shiny. After everyone had had a turn, what a relief the town is small, thought Father Domingo. Amalia cleaned the keys with a cotton ball, dabbed in alcohol. She did it carefully, softly, even lovingly. And again, Father Domingo thought, what a wonderful mother she would have made. It was getting late. Back to your work, please, and be here on time this evening. The bells will ring to announce the beginning of the concert. Christina was about to doze off when Federico exited the highway and made a right onto a country road. They were at the foot of a mountain and about to head up. It looks like this area hasn't had much maintenance lately. The landscape had changed again, from scattered houses to an abundance of trees and scarce evidence of any human presence. We used to have rosewood and mahogany here, but now it's mostly pine and juniper trees. What happened? Christina was too embarrassed to confess she was unable to tell one tree from the next. People from the city happened. Politicians. They know nothing about the land, but feel free to distribute and legislate it as they please. Federico frowned and started to slow down. And now, them. Carefully, he maneuvered around a tree trunk lying on the road. Who's them? Christina looked around, searching for people, her senses on high alert. Let's put it this way. Certain people have taken advantage of the current deforestation to plant stuff they're not supposed to. All the windows in the car were open, and despite the heat, Christina shivered. As they advanced higher up the mountain, she kept her eyes and ears open. Who was really in control here? Why had she agreed to come? If we're lucky, maybe we'll run into a white-tailed deer. We have skunks, too, and coyotes. Oh, and every kind of lizard you can imagine. Federico gave her a smile, and Christina tried to conceal her worry by smiling back. She had always been bad at lying. Don't worry, senorita. Father Domingo is very respected around here. He has kept our town out of trouble since he arrived. God knows how he's done it, but he has. Everyone knows this is his car. We're fine. The only thing to fear is fear itself. And potholes. Christina laughed, and when Federico saw her shoulders relax a little, he let out a sigh of relief. 
Amalia had just finished cleaning the piano and sweeping the floor of the church when Christina arrived. Father Domingo was there to meet her as she stepped out of the car. Oh, Father, you didn't tell me the road would be so bad. Every bone in my body aches, Christina said, making an effort not to mention anything other than the state of the road. Would she be able to return home safely? For now, relieved to have arrived without incident, she smiled at the children who had gathered to welcome her. I'm sorry, my child. I thought I had mentioned it to you. Hi, Senorita Cristina. My name is Pedrito, and I'm very happy you're finally here, the boy said, extending his hand in the gentlest manner, as he thought would be appropriate. Now the other children were surrounding her and extending their hands, hoping to shake hers, just as Pedrito had done. Thank you, Pedrito. I'm happy too, she replied, gladly shaking all the little hands that came close to her, unable to remember the names that floated on the light voices. Pablo, Maria, Lalo, Lupita, Pepe, Tere. Cristina took a quick survey of the town square. The street was merely insinuated, invented by the houses built on both sides of the road. The church had once been white. Its paint was now peeling and dirty. The ground was dry. The sun hit it like an unforgiving drill. Christina saw a yellow dog scratching its neck, a small, malnourished horse tied to a skinny tree, and some women walking down the street carrying heavy baskets. She heard some animal noises, although she couldn't make them out. And then she focused her attention back on Pedrito. He was maybe ten, she thought. He wore no shoes, and she marveled at the fact that he walked easily, as if the ground wasn't hot enough to fry an egg. She felt an instant respect for him, as well as for the other children. Not even the youngest ones wore shoes. She had to make an effort not to cry, and she felt a pang of guilt over her earlier apprehension on the road. Father Domingo led her inside the church. The air was cool but stale. The few decorations around the altar seemed almost sad, even with the piano at their feet. Christina walked over to it, sat down on the bench, and placed her hands on the keyboard. I just want to check if it's properly tuned. Is that all right? The children applauded, and she smiled. What she didn't say was that she feared the ride on the bumpy road might have ruined its sound. She played a few scales to begin with, but the children, Father Domingo, Castillo, and even Federico, were standing around her in disbelief. Was this the same piano they had been torturing a few hours ago? Father Domingo dismissed the children before they started asking Christina to play more. Then he introduced her to Amalia. Christina reached out to take her hand, but Amalia shook her head and blushed. My hands are ugly, miss. Please forgive me. Instead, Amalia took Christina's bag into the sacristy and showed her where she could rest. The small room was full of religious decorations. There was also a bed, a night table, and a small altar. Through the window, there was nothing to see except dry, empty land. Would you like something to eat? Amalia offered. But Christina said she only wanted water and a nap before the concert. The bedsheets smelled fresh and clean, and she felt so comfortable in their mild embrace that she quickly fell into a deep sleep. When she awoke from her nap, Christina changed into a long pink dress. She was struggling to apply her makeup, with only the help of her tiny compact mirror, when she was startled by heavy scraping and ponderous thuds. 
something was happening outside. Her heart began to pound. Perhaps it had been a mistake to come here after all. She left the sacristy cautiously and was relieved to find Amalia outside the door. She asked her what was going on. Amalia took a few seconds before answering. She was astonished by the pink dress and how beautiful Christina looked in it. She wanted to touch the fabric desperately, but was too shy to ask, so she hid her hands behind her back to stop the temptation. I'm so sorry we disturbed you, she said finally, but while you were sleeping, we decided to make some last-minute changes. Christina looked puzzled, so Amalia led her to the back of the altar, where they could see men carrying the church benches outside. Father Domingo approached the women and explained to Christina what Amalia already knew. Our church is too poor a place for you to play. The people thought you deserved better. What do you mean? What are they doing? They are pushing our old benches to the very back of the church. Yes, I can see that, Father. But why? Because tonight, they want this place to look beautiful. So everyone is going to bring their best chair. It took Christina a few seconds to understand what Father Domingo was saying. You mean they're going to carry chairs from their houses all the way here for the concert? Yes, they will bring their nicest chairs. We decided this after you went to sleep. So now we must hurry to be ready on time. The bells tolled their tired sounds shortly before the sun disappeared over the horizon. People arrived on time, and once everyone was seated, Father Domingo invited Christina to come in. She was received with warm applause. As she stood in front of her audience, she couldn't help but notice the chairs, which had been arranged in neat rows. In any given row, two or three chairs looked exactly alike. Then the next few appeared to be part of a different set. Some were big, some were small, some were blue or green or yellow or had embroidered flowers or were just plain and discolored. She recognized Amalia sitting in the front row, and Pedrito with his hair combed down, with lime juice maybe? She didn't recognize any of the others really, but their hair too was either wet or combed very close against the scalp, making their heads look too big. She caught a faint whiff of soap and cheap cologne, but what she was most aware of was their eyes, which appeared to be caressing her skin like a veil. Tonight's program will begin with a piece called Prelude Chorale and Fugue by Caesar Frank. He was a 19th century composer who was born in Belgium but lived in France for most of his life. Christina was unsure if she had chosen the right words and promised herself she would be more informal when introducing the next piece. Then she took a seat and started to play. The prelude proved to be a breathtaking beginning. The audience absorbed every note she played into their bodies. She had chosen this piece for its religious character, thinking it would suit the church setting perfectly, but hadn't expected such a respectful atmosphere. When she glanced briefly at Father Domingo, she understood what true communion was. The applause was solemn, still a bit shy. Christina was happy anyway. She was always happy when she played the piano. Next, she introduced Schubert's Wanderer Fantasy, explaining that the composer, who had always been very poor, died when he was only 31 years old. Thinking that the audience would relate to Schubert's situation, but not wanting to make them feel sad, 
she went on to say that he had been a genius who composed many different pieces. The one they were about to hear represented a crossing through happy and nostalgic worlds, poetic and brilliant and dancing in its final part. She wanted them to imagine people strolling and dancing to such music, to picture what those worlds were like, their colors and their smells. Next, Christina said she would play some of Johann Brahms's waltzes. She explained that the waltz was a type of dance born in Vienna, Austria, and it had caused a musical and social revolution because it was the first dance in which partners embraced each other. This was greeted by shy laughter, which was silenced immediately by Father Domingo's firm gaze. While listening to the music, Castillo pictured himself in a big hall, dancing with a lady in a long, elegant dress, and he smiled shyly, surprised at how much she was enjoying the music, which he would have found boring before. All of the waltzes were brief. Some ran at a quick pace. Some were slow. During the second-to-last piece, Amalia shed a tear. Its slow motion made her feel like cradling her baby in her arms and lulling him to sleep. She thought, maybe Trinidad was listening too and holding their son for her at that very moment? The applause that followed the waltzes was happy and energetic, and Christina was very pleased to see the bright faces and hear the clapping hands telling her how much they liked what they had just heard. She realized that she and her audience were exchanging gifts of sound, bartering music and clapping. What a privilege it was for her to bring the music to these people for the first time in their lives. For the first time, during her first winter abroad as a student, she had experienced the magic of snow for the first time. She remembered walking in the cold, brisk air, catching snowflakes in her hands and her mouth, walking around just for the pleasure of feeling the snow crunch under her boots. Today, she was striving to give Father Domingo's flock a gift, as marvelous as her first experience of snow had been. So she dedicated the last piece to the children, especially Pedrito. Has anyone ever seen a tarantula? She asked the congregation. Yes, miss, answered Pedrito, and I am not afraid of them. Me neither, me neither, said a little girl sitting beside him, and they all laughed. Christina went on. Of course you're not afraid, but there are people who are, and next you will hear a tarantella which is a dance inspired by the way a person jumps after being bitten by a tarantula. The children clapped, grinning, and Christina played the Tarantella and Canzona Napolitana by Franz Liszt. Pedrito sat on his knees so he could better see Christina's fingers transform themselves into spider's legs, crawling up and down the keyboard at an amazing pace, chasing each other and jumping like the people they had supposedly bitten. When Christina finished playing, he was the first to get to his feet and applaud as loudly as he could. The other children joined him and formed a cheerful band. Father Domingo said, Bravo! And everybody echoed him. The acoustics inside the church magnified sound, and Christina felt almost crushed by the crowd's enthusiasm. No, she didn't want to finish either, so she played an encore. Polonaises were performed at weddings in Poland a country in Eastern Europe where it gets very, very cold, she said, until a very important composer named Frédéric Chopin composed Polonaises with a twist, 
making them dramatic pieces full of patriotism, like this one called Heroic. While she played, she thought about Pedrito and his toughened feet, Amalia and her intriguing shyness, the horse she was sure was no more malnourished than its owners, and the heroic jalopy that had brought her all the way here, dodging the ferocious holes in the road like a keen bullfighter. Father Domingo looked on, grateful that the evening had ended peacefully, without unwanted interruptions. It was yet further proof that his flock deserved better. What a privilege it was for him to be here this evening, witnessing something that was almost a miracle. The entire town, inside the church, their problems momentarily forgotten as they allowed themselves to be enveloped by the music. He looked around the gathered crowd. There was Castillo, eyes half shut, head bent, and hands resting on his knees. Federico, who had smiled when he realized that he shared Chopin's first name. Amalia, her arms around her middle, lips shaped in a peaceful smile for the first time in months. Pedrito, once more trying to sit taller in his chair and stretching his neck like a turtle in the sun, and his brothers and sisters and all the other children, quiet like statues, unbelievable models of good behavior. Even Rosario and Alfredo, who owned the only cantina in town and whom Father Domingo seldom saw, even at Sunday Mass, had shut down for the evening and were sitting at the back of the church, hand in hand on their metal chairs, listening. Father Domingo understood why people were always so moved by this particular piece. It made you love the place where you first heard it and feel proud of your homeland, even if that homeland was moribund, like the one beneath his feet that he cared so much about. Most of all, it gave listeners hope. Looking more closely at the faces around him, he was almost sure he could see the same conclusion as it dawned in their eyes. He could almost touch their feelings. They were warm and salty, like a sea breeze, like the tears that filled their eyes when, after applauding feverishly and yelling bravo until they could yell no more, they approached Christina respectfully to thank her. Then they left in silence, each one carrying their own chair as they disappeared into the dry night. What a wonderful gift is music, that it can transport its listeners and offer a magical escape, if even for one night. Martha Batiste is able to weave a moment of beauty through the daily hardships and struggle of this community. You were listening to The First Piano from a collection of short stories called No Stars in the Sky by Martha Batiste, due out this May. It's published by House of Anansi Press. Thank you for listening to Passage to Wonderland. Until next time, rest easy.